Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. Kurt Sandvig, and on this edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's see if you can predict what I'm going to be talking about. But first, as always, we have shout-outs. That's right. We have shout-outs going out to Marisol, Liam, Izzard Breath, Dusty, Roger, Michael, Dustin, Matthew, Alicia, hold on one second, Derek, Becca, Jake, and the Beasties, Joshua, Elizabeth, Void Tech, Sherry, Art, Art Muffin, sorry, Trudy, Tim, Paul, Ricardo, Damien and Daniel, Ian, Eric, Brandon, Jen, Alexandra, Simon, George, Connie, Seth, Jason, Hayden, Cindy, Kim, Ashley, what's that? Loki, Carrie, Ezram, Robin, Will, Kelly, Lauren and Phil Mangano, Russell, Tanya, Donald, April, Meth, Milda, Seth, Isabel, Audra, Dorian and Isaac, Cindy, Bob, the Jean Bishop, Cole, Paula, Jerry, Leo, Austin, Lindsay, Han, Megan, Aaron, Jeff T, Harley, Suzanne, Joe, Lawrence, Lauren McCune, hey howdy hi, Lily, Nick, Autumn, Jay, J Mark, Manning, Carolyn, Martin, Jade, Nanashi, Heidi, Kira, Pablo, Chuck, Ta, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Juliana, Dan, Dill, Laura Pitts, and Gamer Fan. Now this episode was brought to you by, not brought to you, produced by Chris Jones, with a special shout-out, as always, to Joe Teague. All right, we got a lot of stuff in paranormal news. So much so, in fact, that I actually cut it from half for this week and half for the next episode. There's a ton in paranormal news, so let's get right on into it. UFO stops traffic in South Carolina as drivers film it. When Shanika Joyner and her six-year-old daughter India went for a drive in Goose Creek, South Carolina last week, they didn't think it would turn into something they'd remember for the rest of their lives, but that's just what happened. While on Highway 52, they saw something in the sky that was so bizarre that Shanika got her phone out and started to film it. Perplexed, uh, India said, oh my God, there's something in there as a gray object either floats or flies by them and through a cloud. The object moves in midair, and India asks, is it a ship? Her mom responds simply, look, India can only stare in disbelief and say, what is that? She told the son that she had actually no idea what the object was, but did state, in my 41 years on this planet, I've never seen anything like it before. I was in awe. She said there was actually two objects, but she couldn't keep eyes on them both at the same time, and the one she recorded was visible for less than a minute. She added, it was going fast, but it slowed down enough for me to record it. It looked like it spun a little when it got by the trees. Now, she went on to say, at first I thought it might have been a plastic bag, but I was like, that's too fast and too high. Some people have said it's a balloon or a trash bag. However, some have uh, said that they believe it's a cloaked ship. Others think it's a drone with cloaked technology or lower atmospheric cloud caught in a backwind. All right, as always, I wait until I'm on the air to press play to see what the heck it is. Oh, I gotta oh make this God. full screen. What is this? 
So far, it just looks like a cloud in a backdraft. This looks like a cloud in a backdraft to me. Oh, I don't know, though. It is darker than a cloud. I... Oh. I don't know what that is. It could be a bag. I can see why people think it might be a bag. It could be a cloud. I think it's actually... It looks like foam to me. And I know what you're thinking, like, that's stupid. But no, it's actually not because uh, Disneyland um, tried it for a while. Some company made this thing, this machine, where it can pump out shapes in foam and then it just kind of floats around in the sky. And that looks a lot like, obviously, it's not a Mickey head, but in, in Disneyland, it was a Mickey-shaped head. Uh, it looks like the foam that gets, you know, thrown in or pumped into the, the sky by whatever the hell the machine is. I forget what the heck the machine is called. But if you look up, I guarantee you, if you look up... Um, Disneyland Mickey Cloud, something to that effect, uh, or Disneyland Mickey Foam, Mickey Sky Foam. Let's try that. Yeah, so they have it. They do have it. Um, it, it really kind of looks like that. But, I mean, I don't know. I don't. It's definitely a UFO because I don't know what the hell it is. All righty, next up in paranormal news, we're not alone. Why these folks from Mississippi and Alabama aren't buying into the UFO report. Now, I know what you're thinking. Where's your episode on the UFO report? Oh, it's coming up, and it's coming up very soon. But I didn't want to do just a half-assed what other people thought of the UFO report, so I'm going through it as diligently as I can. But when I see something like this, I'll throw it into paranormal news. But don't you worry. There is an episode coming up very soon about the UFO report. The uh, preliminary report from the federal government was recently released on UFOs encountered by the military personnel dating back to 2004. While its contents, or lack thereof, has some Mississippians upset. The report doesn't deny some may be extraterrestrial life forms traveling to Earth. It doesn't offer that as a possible explanation either. Calvin Parker of Moss Point said, I don't believe they're being straight up. The Department of Defense could come a little cleaner about what they've got. I just really believe there's more out there than what they're saying. Yep, I completely agree. Parker was part of one of history's most famous UFO cases. He, along with now-deceased Charles Hickson, claimed they were abducted by aliens the night of October 11, 1973, while fishing from a bank of the Pascagoula River. If you don't know that episode, I did do an episode about or if you don't know that story, I did do an episode about it, so you can go back and listen to that full episode. The two said they were levitated by aliens into a football-shaped craft, examined, and then released. The two contacted the Jackson County Sheriff's Office and reported the incident. According to Parker, the two passed sobriety tests as well as polygraph tests. Uh, Parker said he also passed a voice stress test. Now, he remains largely quiet about the event until he wrote a book about it in 2018, giving his account of what happened and a, later a second book. So, yeah, I, I agree. There's way more to these reports. Uh, there's another woman. Her name's Rosie Nail of Moss Point. She's also unhappy with the report. Nail was hundreds of miles away from Pascagoula the night Hickson and Parker said that they were abducted, but said she witnessed something that was not from this world. Uh, northeast of Granada in the town of Bruce uh, said she saw a light moving across the sky that night, and it separated into two lights. One orb moved closer to her and became as large as the sun and began changing colors. It then rejoined the other object and shot out of sight. It was an event, she said, that isn't explained by any possibilities in that report. She said it was otherworldly. Whatever that encompasses, it was purposeful. It maneuvered, it went up and down, it went sideways and shot up in the sky. I don't think it's military of the, any country. I think it's. I think with technologi uh, technology advances, they would know if it was from another country. Whatever the truth is, I think we should know about it. 
And then finally, uh, Maria Blair and her late husband, Jerry Blair of Theodore, Alabama, were on the opposite side of the Pascagoula River from Hickson and Parker on October 11, 1973. In an earlier interview, the two said they watched a blue light move across the sky and hover before it landed about 150 to 200 yards away. Jerry was waiting for a boat to pick them up to take them to his job offshore and paid little attention to the lights as though as his thoughts were on work. When the boat arrived, Maria said she heard a splash in the water as she walked down the pier. She looked down and saw what looked like a person in a wetsuit in the water. After she heard Parker's descriptions of the aliens he said he was abducted by, she said it matched what she saw that night. After watching television newscasts and learning the report did not offer alien life forms as a possible explanation, Blair, like Parker, said government officials are withholding information. Ever since that night in 1973, the world knows we're not alone. The government knows we're not alone. These humanoids are not from other countries. They're so more advanced than us. I've never gotten over what I saw that night. These humanoids are not from this earth. Now, the report is preliminary, which suggests a second is expected, but when and if it will be released to the public was not included in the document. Uh, Parker, who sadly, who's battling, she's 67, who's battling uh, health issues, says she hopes more information is released that will shed light on what she and Hickson, what he and Hicks, oh, sorry, he, uh, what he and Hickson said happened to them, but not sure if it will. I wish they'd tell us so I can go to my grave knowing what they know. I'd just like to have some kind of answer before I die, and it's not a long ways away, and I don't think we're going to get it from Congress or the Department of Defense. Yeah, that is that is really shitty that there's all these people that witnessed stuff in the world with no possible explanations at all, and they don't get any verification from this report that is supposedly going to talk about downed crafts from other worlds and bodies and everything else, and then it just doesn't. It never gets released. It's got to be insanely frustrating to them. Uh, next up in paranormal news, an astronomical engineering expert runs through the unanswered questions from the UFO uh, report by the U.S. government. There's a lot more going on than what we're privy to, he says. And former flight pilot uh, Alex Dietrich explains her stranger con encounters. Well, we already heard from her. Um... Basically, what he is saying is he's got the he's got the engineering degree. He's an astronomical astronautical engineering expert, and he doesn't even buy what's in that report. But the rest of the story is pretty much stuff that you've already heard. So we're gonna skip ahead because we've got a lot to get to. Next up in paranormal news is a Bigfoot roaming woods of St. Lawrence County. In 2020, New Yorkers reported 113 Bigfoot sightings, according to Microsoft News. For some north uh, North, Count North Country residents, Bigfoots are believed to be residing in their backyards. Messina resident Michael Weimond, Weimond, sorry, was driving home on, on County Road 37 at about 11.30 p.m. on June 20th when he spotted what he believes to be a Sasquatch. Something bipedal ran across the road within 50 feet of my car. This thing was extremely fast. I was going 60. It crossed the road from right to left in less than a second. It was not a deer. I've seen plenty of deer. This thing was brown or gray, shaggy, and had arms and legs that moved in a circular motion. Now, he posted on Facebook about his sightings the same night, causing a slew of stories from other people within the area having the same experiences. I lived there in 2011, and I started walking my dog outside at night around 8.30 p.m., uh, Eric Lausen said. The woods at the back of my house went on for miles and miles. I was out there a couple of nights, and I kept hearing a loud screaming noise. It sounded like nothing ever heard before in my life. It sounds like a mix between an elephant and a bear. It goes right through you. It's deafening. All right, come up here, bud. 
Come on up. All right, you happy now? Uh, he says he lived at his Louisville home from 2011 to 2015, and he noted before he lived at the home, he was not a Bigfoot believer. The summer of 2013 was when it started getting really bad, he said. Every night I would have company over, and every time we were outside, we would hear this thing screaming. One day I came home from work at 8 a.m., and my neighbors were all outside. While I was at work, one of them ran through my yard and destroyed my birdhouse. There were Bigfoot... There were big footprints throughout my whole yard and hair stuck in my fence. Well, where's that hair, dude? Come on. After the recurring incident, Lousen contacted Dean Gleason, director of Seaway Valley Bigfoot Research, to do a week-long investigation there. The DEC came along, came with him, and they all went back into the woods around 3 a.m. They were doing tree knocks, and the thing was doing tree knocks back. One of them threw a rock into the brush. A minute later, something threw the rock back at them and let out a huge roar. Gleason began Segway Valley Bigfoot research for people uh, for people to report sightings and experiences they've had. I've been doing Bigfoot research for quite a number of years. I've had six sightings in this area. I used to have a Sasquatch sticker on my Jeep, and I had about 40 to 50 people come up to me throughout the community and tell me their stories. A lot of people think Bigfoot research is a big joke. People laugh at me. Some of my own family doesn't even believe me. But he says, after 10 years of research, he believes the animals are harmless and less provoked. I don't want any of them to get hurt or people trying to find them and mess with them. I really feel that they don't bother people unless they're provoked. I've only had one get uh, aggressive with me. I've been in the woods with a lot of them, and they've always left me alone. The United States has a lot of habitat for them, he says. They're a worldwide phenomenon. Every country has belief in an animal like this. There's also a lot of credible evidence, and as DNA technology advances, I think a lot of people are going to be surprised. Man, I hope so. I really do. And I like the fact that he said, like, you know, Basically, don't fucking shoot Bigfoot. Don't bother them. They won't bother you. All right, up next in paranormal news, UFOs and Bigfoot. Two local enigmas get another moment in the sun. Unidentified aerial phenomena and ancient hominids are in the news. Both have a rich history in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, recent stories have offered some encouraging evidence for theories about whether they're real or not, at least worth investigating. Now, they talk about the, uh, the government report. Oh, we're going to skip ahead of that. He says, it seems appropriate that the report came out on June 24th, 74 years to the day an Idaho pilot named Kenneth Arnold saw a number of shiny objects that he thought were advanced aircraft dodging through the Cascades at high speeds near Mount Rainier. He said they looked like saucers, thus the term flying saucers were born. That's true. He goes on to say, oh, boy, he's got real deep into this. There's more about the book, Flying Saucers. A few years ago, I interviewed Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum, a professor of anatomy and anthropology at Idaho State University. He's argued that the tales of so-called wild men and Bigfoot-type creatures from around the world might be connected to the fact that we know that at times in our past, more than one species of hominid have coexisted with Neanderth coexisted. Neanderthals and Homo sapiens are the best-known pair, but perhaps as recently as 30,000 years ago, and certainly earlier, there could have been more than a half a dozen human species overlapping on this Earth. And he thinks that that is exactly what people are seeing to this day. The same week as the government's UFO UAP report also came the announcement of a hominid discovery in China based on newly studied skulls originally found in the 30s. It may provide further evidence to the bushy human tree. Dubbed Homo Longi or, and nicknamed Dragon Man, well, that's, that's 300,000 years ago. Come on, get to the point. Um, he said, the Pacific Northwest is home to both saucers and forest-dwelling Sasquatch, and in this, our and this author thinks basically that he thinks that our our need to imagine, project, and question is very large. 
It's been a launch pad and a touchstone for both science and desire to push the boundaries of belief. And he thinks that uh, they're going to be found, and they're both going to be found in the Pacific Northwest. Up next in paranormal news, Sutton, West Virginia is uh, set to hold the first annual West Virginia Bigfoot Festival. It takes place on Saturday from 9.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. The event will feature activities like a Bigfoot race, classes for wildlife casting, live music, and more. The festival will start with the grand opening of the West Virginia Bigfoot Museum, which has reports of Bigfoot sightings from the Mountain State and includes track castings, art, and Bigfoot merchandise. Braxton County is no stranger to the strange creature sightings, such as the Flatwood Monster, Flatwoods Monster, and organizers of the festival say that they wonder... Say the wonder of the unknown plays a big role in bringing the community together. Is he here? Is he not there? It's a neat question to ask, but check out the festival. Festival festival admission is free. For more information, go to... Oh, that was two weeks ago. Lies. It wasn't this week. Ooh, apparently that was two weeks ago. I apologize to you guys. But looking at the photos, it looks like it was a quite a fun little time. And I'm bummed. I would like to go to this thing. This thing looks awesome. Um, it looks very cool. So if you get a chance to go to uh, West Virginia, you can still go to the West Virginia Bigfoot Museum. There's also the Flatwoods Green Monster Museum um, to check out as well. But, um, oh, yeah, they said uh, for media inquiries. All right, so I'm going to request an interview with the West Virginia Bigfoot Museum. I think that would be a fun little interview to do. So I'll be reaching out to them and see if I can get them on the podcast. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Okay, up next in paranormal news. Let's keep on keeping on. We're moving through a lot, man. Loch Ness Monster, not a monster, mystery could be solved as dry conditions in the Scottish Highlands see its its drop to its lowest ever level. That's right. As with all of the water everywhere, um, the drought's in effect, and apparently the drought is in effect in the Loch Ness as well. They said the parched June weather has resulted in old piers that were once below the surface of Loch Ness to emerge well above the water. It's the driest condition. Um, It's caused Loch Ness to fall to its lowest levels ever. The RNLI reported water levels are now to the lowest ever recorded after the crew of a lifeboat were unable to take a stricken yacht to the nearest landing point because of the lack of water depth. One local has said that a conservative estimate suggests that the level of the lock is a meter lower across the whole lock, meaning that there are 56 billion liters less water in the lock. If it carries on like this, we'll have that Nessie mystery solved in no time. Man, I hope not. That would suck. Look, I want the mystery to be over, but not because it dried up. And finally in paranormal news, huge UFO spotted hovering over the sea for 10 seconds by students. Matthew Evans captured the huge UFO out of his window, Teganmouth Devon, hovering over the sea before it blasted away. A student in Teganmouth, Devon, says he saw a giant UFO right from his kitchen window before it blasted off in the distance. He lives in a block of units on the top level, and when when in his kitchen, he could see the UFO over the horizon. He said, I couldn't help but see it. My kitchen window gives a great view of the sea, so when it came across the horizon... It wasn't moving like a plane would. It was moving a lot slower and went up and down a bit before hovering a good 10 seconds. It stayed in one spot long enough for me to pull out my phone and get these snaps. Then it quickly zoomed off at some speeds and I couldn't see it anymore. He said the light was really bright. I just didn't know what it could be, so I decided to take a picture. I'm not quite losing my marbles yet, but it's hard to place it, so I suppose it's an unidentified flying object. Yeah, 
I mean, it looks like a UFO. It also looks like to me, like it could be a reflection. I would love to see what the light looks like in his kitchen or in his living room. You know, it looks to me like it could be a reflection of a light that's in the house, just up against the window. But I would think he'd be smart enough to know that. Now, if you guys wanna see any of these UFO stories that I've talked about in this paranormal news, well, you're in luck because you can head on over to the Paranormal Almanac fan page on Facebook. Both of them have been submitted by fans. The ones that I put on here, or the ones you just heard, really, were both submitted by fans. So you can go and check them out right then and there and tell me what you think on the Facebook fan page. It's Paranormal Almanac fan page, I believe it's called. Um, let me see what it's called. Paranormal Almanac fan base slash stories. It's a great group of people. Trust me. Even if you don't like Facebook, I don't really like Facebook. Even if you don't like Facebook, that group is a great group of people and a good place to see a lot of the stuff that I talk about on these episodes. All righty, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. That's right. We're back. Sorry, everyone. Uh, the day job kind of took up all my time this past two weeks. Uh, plus, I had family in town. But I am back with an all-new episode just for you and only you. Now, before I get into this week's episode, let me just say I'm, I want to do a, another live episode as soon as my stupid phone gets delivered, supposedly sometime today. Again, knock on whatever. But uh, supposedly, this will fix all the stupid phone issues I've been having so I can actually have callers again, which would be fantastic because I really miss doing those live shows. Now, when I do this next live show, I need somebody that's listening to this right now that'll be on the live show to remind me to tell you guys the story of what happened uh, with my nephew and me while we were sitting in the living room one day. It's a bizarre tale. I'll let you decide if it's paranormal or not, but it was freaking weird. All righty, get back into this. On this edition, let's see if any psychics are real. Now, I'm convinced the ones on paranormal TV shows are fake. They just, they keep getting outed as faked. Like, there's there's a guy, Derek, on some UK paranormal show that he just got freaking straight out outed as fake. There's a bunch that have been on American paranormal TV shows that have been outed as fake. Look, I am open to be convinced by one of them from those shows. So, of course, if they want to come on this podcast... Convince me. Like, I know that I'll, I know that psychics don't like to have to convince people. But for those kinds of people, the ones that are on those paranormal TV shows that keep getting just, you know, outed as fake, you want to be proven as real, then you have to prove, at least to me, that you're real. So I'd love to have you on the show, but don't be surprised if I'm a skeptic and if I ask you to kind of prove it and also don't pull that bullshit about like that, that some fake psychics do where like, well, I can't read you because your negative uh, vibes and energy are blocking me. None of that bullshit. Either you can or you can't done. But um, back to the psychics themselves, obviously the ones on infomercials, complete bullshit. I don't even want those on my show. If you're on an infomercial, you're complete bullshit. And yeah, if you go to like, I'm sure it's everywhere in the country, but like out here, if you go to like Venice Beach or in Hollywood, that you will see psychics with like the card tables that are there. They're there for mere amusement. Don't expect the lotto numbers from them. Don't expect them to prove to you without a shadow of a doubt that these are true psychics. But for this edition though, let's focus on one type of psychic. I'm talking about psychics that are hired by the police or the government or law enforcement, however you want to word it, 
psychics that are hired by them to help solve crimes. What are the actual odds? How many cases have been solved? Do they ever really lead to a specific place or person? Well, some of that will be answered. This is the case of Melanie Uribe. Now, since this isn't my favorite murder, I'm gonna skip to uh, I'm gonna skip to the psychic bits. I'm not gonna really delve into the case itself. I'll give you a little bit of backstory, but honestly, this isn't a true crime podcast. This is a paranormal podcast. Holy crap! Helicopter flying over the house. Um, I'm sure it's not a black helicopter. So, Melanie Uribe. After missing two days of work, a nurse named Melanie Uribe was reported missing. Now, police started searching for her, but they didn't have really anything to go on. But then. Edda Smith, who was just a regular woman working at Lockheed Aerospace, Lockheed Aerospace, right here in Burbank, California, saw a news story about Melanie, and something strange happened. She said she had a frightening vision. Edda says it began when she started hearing a voice in her head. She said it was a mental thought, but it was as if someone were speaking to me, saying she's not in a house. After that thought registered, it was if I saw a picture, I saw a canyon area, I saw a road, I saw it curving, I saw a dirt path, I saw shrubbery, and I saw white through the shrubbery. I could not clearly see what the white was, but it was something distinctively white. And I thought, well, if what I'm experiencing is the possibility of where this person could be, maybe the white I see is her uniform, knowing that she was a nurse. I couldn't just let it go because I kept wondering if this person needed help and if their life depended on that help, it would be very wrong of me not to do something. So, she heads down to LAPD, and she tries to make a report. Retired Los Angeles police detective Lee Ryan says he actually welcomed Etta's information. He said, I gave her a lot of credibility based on the fact that she came in on her own. She indicated her conscience was bothering her, which triggered a response in me that possibly her conscience was bothering her because she knows more than she's telling us. But then again, maybe she is, in fact, sincere and real. So let's treat her in that light until we find out otherwise. So I get that. I get that kind of cop feeling about bullshit. She knows more than she knows. But let's see what she says. So they hear her story through and thought, um, you know what? She's probably connected to the disappearance and then nothing really else. So they let her go. They were like, yep, she's definitely a person of interest. We're going to keep an eye on her but they let her go. Now, when Etta got home, she knew she couldn't just leave it at that. She was so concerned, she decided to go search for the body herself. So she pinpointed the area in Los Angeles County where she thought that Melanie might be found. Now, it was a place called Lopez Canyon. So Etta and her daughter, Tina, they actually drive to Lopez Canyon. And as soon as she got out of her car, she said, I felt trauma and I felt scared. It was like an energy that was like tingling inside of me. It was sort of like you feel when you're when you get an uh, uh, get an adrenaline rush. I stopped and for reasons unknown to me, I wanted to look at these tire marks and I wanted to put my hands in them. When we got back in the van, the only thing I could think about is, I want to leave here. I don't want to be here anymore. So they get back in the car and they kind of follow the tire tracks down, like basically further down the canyon. Etta stopped again when Tina saw something unusual in the brush. And Etta says, it was a body. The only thing I could truly distinguish and know what this was, was that she had on white nurse's shoes. And I don't know if you guys need this because I just said it a minute ago, but she said 
in her little vision that she had, I saw a dirt path. I saw shrubbery, and I saw white through the shrubbery. I could not clearly see what the white was, but it was something distinctively white. And sure enough, that's what they saw. So Etta immediately calls the, the police, and not surprisingly, the body was Melanie. Melanie had been robbed, raped, and beaten to death, sadly. And that evening, well, the police asked Etta to please come down. When she arrived, she's taken into a room, and she's questioned by two detectives that she'd never seen before. She said they wanted me to explain to them the whole how the whole thing unfolded. And that seemed very normal to me. But after I felt like I'd finished telling them the story, telling them everything, and filling in the blanks, it's like, okay, let's start at the beginning. Tell us this again. So we went through the story again, and again, and again. She said this went on for hours until about 10 o'clock that evening when it became very obvious to me, I'm now a suspect. Now, according to Detective Ryan, Etta just seemed to know too much about the crime to not be involved. He said that the investigating officers, having no other leads or clues, didn't have any other choice at the time but to presume she was, in fact, an accessory either before or after the commission of the crime. So, Etta says, look, I'll take two polygraph tests and passes them both. But, Etta says the detectives lied to her about those results, saying that, nope, you didn't pass these, so they booked her as an accessory to murder. I wasn't sure if it was a bluff or what. I was so tired that I couldn't even, I didn't really, I don't think I even cared anymore. I was either going to go home or to jail. I'm just not sure I cared, she said. Now, Etta was jailed for four days, and the only reason they let her go was police had arrested two young men in connection with the murder of Melanie Uribe. And these two guys, they confessed. So they, you know, the police say, oh, sorry to Etta, and they let her leave. And Detective Ryan says he credits Etta's visions for helping to solve the case. He said, I was quite amazed, and I think a lot of other people were too. But I think a lot of them were reluctant to want to admit it. Had it not been for Etta Smith, I don't think this case would have been solved as rapidly as it was, or possibly not as all, not at all. So what is Etta, where did this come from? Because it's clearly said that she worked at Lockheed Aerospace in Burbank. She wasn't, you know, working as a psychic. So Etta said she has no explanation for her sudden onset of psychic abilities. She says, I sometimes wonder what it was that transpired from this innocent person who was murdered and how her death somehow reached out and touched me. I think it's one of the mysteries in life that many things happen to us throughout our lives that are unexplainable. Oh, and a little follow-up because I'm sure you guys are all thinking the same thing I thought. Like, well, what the fuck? They arrested her and kept her for four days. Well, yeah, Etta sued the Los Angeles Police Department for false imprisonment and won $26,138. Like, the weirdest amount ever to win for being locked up for four days. Uh, and they, the police admitted that, yeah, she did pass the polygraphs, but they were like, nah, she's up to something, and then they still kept her for four days. That's some bullshit. But right off the bat, all right. Here's a woman who wasn't even actively being a psychic, who was just, you know, trying to mind her own business and found a body that she had no connections to. She didn't know the victim. She didn't know the men that killed her. Nothing. There is no scientific way that she could have found the body, yet it happened. So one for one of, all right, skeptics, explain that to me. Because there are a lot of skeptics that say that there has been zero psychic um, 
help, whatever you want to call it, psychic assistance to law enforcement that has ever successfully brought them exactly where they needed to be to find the body or the the person of interest or whatever, you know, whatever the thing that was missing. Psychics, they just say psychics have never helped. It's just a crap game. Like the same thing would happen is if I, um, you know, if I walked down there and said the three things that psychics usually say, there's, I see woods, I see a body of water and I see a dirt road. Cause that seems to be the case that happens more and more and more. And skeptics say, look, it's just all bullshit. It's vague details that happen to lead them not even lead them, vague details. And then when they find the body that happened to be around the body, those vague details. Sure, maybe, but this one wasn't. This one, she went right to the location by herself with no connections and apparently no other previous psychic powers. So I don't know. Alrighty, next case. Now this one's from June 9th, 1987. When 27-year-old Andre Daigle met a friend for dinner and a few rounds of pool. Now, the last time that Andre was seen alive was driving a woman away from the bar. Now, he was reported missing, and the police searched for four days, but no leads. Now, his sister, Elise McGinley, reached out to the California psychic Rosemary Kerr. Kerr? Kerr? Probably Kerr. K-E-R-R. Now, Rosemary placed a finger on a photo of Daigle, placed her finger on a photo of Daigle, and sensed immediately that he was dead. She said, I was moving across the picture for vibrations. And she said that she could then picture Andre in his truck sitting beside a man with long blonde hair. She said she saw water, a long bridge with railroad tracks. And she said, I felt terrible pain in my head. And a voice was saying, my head is killing me. Uh, she also went and closed her, she closed her eyes moved a finger on the map of the state, and felt a tingling, so she stopped. Her finger stopped near Slidell. I told Elise that she should get someone out to that area as quick as possible. Now, um, Rosemary basically testified after the fact that she actually knew that Andre was dead, but she said that I couldn't tell his sister then. I knew she would have, she would, I knew she would have to be prepared for the death. So, all right, so Rosemary, she, um, she went to the New Orleans police station to assist them. That cop working there said the night that she first arrived uh, said she gave a couple of predictions on the spot when meeting some of the officers. In one case, she predicted an affair. Um, with another detective, she predicted his death. Both turned out to be true later on. Now, Rosemary told them where they could find his body, so the police took, took her with them, and they found his truck right where she said it would be. The two men in the truck later were convicted of his murder, and then then um, she led them a little bit further in where they would eventually find his body by or in a swamp. It's kind of hard to tell. Now, she helped them in the conviction of the two men who ended up testifying that they had killed Andre for sport. Uh, sadly, Rosemary passed away in 2015, but she was the first psychic ever to be placed on a witness stand in a murder trial, and she believed and taught people up to her death Anyone can have psychic abilities. You just have to trust your gut and instincts and learn how to monitor them, basically. So for all you listening right now saying, man, I wish I was psychic. Well, according to this psychic, who, again, found a person and the truck that they were looking for, she says you can be. Anyone can be. So, yeah, there you go. All right, up next is the tale of Arthur Herbert. 
Now, this one happened on January 28, 1984, when Arthur Herbert was on a small plane with three other people when it vanished over rural Massachusetts or possibly New Hampshire. Now, the Civil Air Patrol and the U.S. Air Force had searched for 10 days before, you know, basically being forced to give up the search. The budget for search and rescue, the weather, the fact it had been 10 days with no clues meant that the people aboard the plane wouldn't be found alive. So they were going to wait for better, better weather, basically. Now, um, enter Arthur's sister, Jessica Herbert, who asked an official from the Civil Air Patrol what he would need to start up the search again, and he replied, the location, because that guy's an asshole. So she reached out to a psychic named Noreen Renier. I'm going to learn how to say her name because, fingers crossed, I'm going to be talking to Noreen, Noreen this weekend. Do a little follow-up episode, basically. Now, Noreen said that she got a call that went like this. Good morning, Mrs. Rainier. My name is Jessica Herbert. I need your help. My brother has been lost in a plane wreck, and they can't find him. It's been days. You've got to help me. I'm at my wit's end. I don't know what to do. Noreen said that she sounded worried and told her, I honestly don't believe I can help you. I don't find things. I describe murderers. I work with the police on unsolved homicides. She says, usually I touch something the victims were wearing when they were killed. I just can't do this in your case. And thankfully, Jessica just wasn't going to let that stop her. She pleaded, you know, you have to, basically, you've been highly recommended by my ex-husband, Mark Babiak, an FBI agent. So uh, you were also validated by Special Agent Wrestler. So she kind of name-dropped a couple of names. And Noreen was like, oh, all right, let's meet up. So Jessica met up with Noreen and handed her her brother's billfold and started telling Oh, and uh, Noreen, I should say, started to tell Jessica details about her brother's appearance and the other passenger's appearance, too. So, look, Kurt here. So far in this story, I'm not that impressed with Noreen yet. And that's a big yet. Don't worry, it's going to be coming. Now, Noreen could have seen a news story about the plane going down in the area. So, meh, so far. She knows, you know, she knows what these people look like. Yeah, there's probably photos of them in a news story. That's for you, skeptics. I threw that in there for you. Just keep listening. So Noreen said, hey, I saw the down plane immediately. In fact, I found myself almost on top of it. I was on the side of a hill, but I could see around me were trees. I felt walled in by them, and I knew no one could see me. This was no help, she said. Then she started telling Jessica numbers and letters. The letters were GTO, I believe, and she thought they might be initials of towns, and she said that the plane would be found some miles from the big city. And then about an old dirt road near the crash site, and at the bottom of it, she said, is an old-fashioned house. The, the house had been turned into a gas station. It's rickety. I see old rusting signs. It looks like a Texaco sign. There's an old woman who runs the gas station. She doesn't have any teeth. She sells a lot of junk. Spoiler. The old woman did work there. She did have no teeth, but she died a year before the plane crash. So... Starting to get impressed. Very specific details right here. Especially the rusty signs. Looks like a tes Texaco sign. It's a house that was turned into a gas station. Well, all of that turned out to be real. She went on to say, when you reach the gas station, take the dirt road up the mountain. You don't need to go up all the way to the top. The plane will be found to the right of the road. It didn't explode. Then, Noreen said something to Jessica. She said, it's your brother. Now he's walking away. He survived the crash. After he took a few steps, he lunged forward. His leg buckled under him, and he sank into a sitting position. She said his leg is hurt. It's broken. Then Noreen kind of said, 
wait, that might be from you. I might be getting these these images from you. You're you're the hope that your brother is still alive. So she was kind of worried that they'd be found dead. Well, two days later, the search and rescue team found the the location and the plane basically close to what Noreen said. All the people on board were dead. They did find that rickety gas station with the Texco sign. They went up the road to the right of the road. They find the plane. It was, you know, covered by trees. But when the authorities arrived, they found the plane intact. All occupants were dead. The two men in the front seat had been crushed by the impact. Their necks broken. Sitting on some flat rocks under a nearby tree as if someone had placed her there, they found the headless body of a young woman. They then found the body of Jessica's brother, a few yards away, sitting on the side of a hill, his leg broken, a torn piece of his sweatshirt hanging from a tree branch above him, basically trying to, you know, signal that they were there. Oh, and those letters and numbers? Well, they were the initial letters of the names of the three towns whose outskirts all connected in the area, marked by the longitude and the latitude. That's right, the numbers that she gave the sister. Absolutely freaky. Now, again, I'm going to have Noreen on um, this week, actually. It sounds like I'm going to have to call her right after I get off this episode. Uh, But a couple of emails back and forth. She seems like a very fantastic woman. I can't wait to speak with her. And she's, you know, she said she was eager to be on the show. So fingers crossed there'll be a follow-up. And we're going to talk about this case more. But I also want to talk about other cases and just basically her abilities as well. I'm not going to ask her to try and prove to me that she's a psychic. I'm not going to try and do with a skeptic's approach. That is not my goal here. My goal is to talk to a woman who psychically assisted in the location of a plane crash, because I think that is absolutely incredible, and I cannot wait to talk to her. Yeah, like I said, hopefully this weekend. All righty. Up next from Australia. Now, this is one that skeptics say was just a coincidence. It's the case of Paula Brown. Now, Paula went missing after partying with her friends one night in Sydney, Australia. Her fiancé reached out to psychic Philippe Durant for help. And uh, Philippe, Philip, I'm going to say it's Philippe, uh, he used a grid map, a plumb line, and a lock of Paula's hair, then suggested police focus their hunt on a district known as Port Botany. Now, the police went there, but nothing was found. Then, a week later a passing truck driver spotted her spotted her body one mile from where Felipe, whatever his name is, had said. All right, so I'm, I don't know what to think about this one. One mile is a bit far, but maybe in Australia it's like spot on. Australia is so big and so vast anyway that pinpointing something down to one mile might be, you know, absolutely incredible. And I also don't know how far away Port Botany is from Sydney, Australia. Is it like the next logical town? Like anybody that thought about, well, you know, she, they saw her in Sydney, Australia. She was partying with some friends here. My guess is she's probably going to be found here. You know, I don't know what it's like in Australia. So Australian fans, you tell me, is this something I should be impressed with? Or is this like, meh, it's a mile away. Come on, guys. Alrighty, another quick but cool one. This is the story or the case of Ashley Howley. Now, this one comes from 2004 when Ashley Howley disappeared in Columbus, Ohio. Bet you're thinking, then one of Ashley's relatives reached out to a psychic, right, Kurt? Nope, not on this case. Christy Robinet, a Michigan psychic, was then reached out to by Ashley herself. That's right, the girl that disappeared. 
So in and around 2008, it's kind of hard to get a precise timeline. Christy started receiving messages from Ashley's spirit. Remember, Christy or Ashley, Ashley disappeared in 2004. Then in or around 2008, Christy, the psychic, started to get receiving messages from Ashley's spirit, who told her she'd been murdered by her boyfriend and also where her body could be found. So Christy related to the police, and guess what? Ashley's body was found in the very, very spot she said it would be, marked by a stick in the ground. Her boyfriend found guilty of murder. That's a cool one. That's a very short but cool one. Ashley herself was like, fuck this guy, and reached out to a psychic, and they found her body and, you know, justice. Alrighty, up next, from December 20th, 1974, John DeMar boarded a commuter train to Nutley, New Jersey. The train arrived, but John wasn't on it. So the police investigated, and they were pretty split between foul play and that he might have just ran away. So... They reached out to psychic Dorothy Allison, who gave them some bizarre clues, things, I don't know, whatever you call these psychic, you know, breadcrumbs. And uh, Dorothy Allison told detectives she saw John falling off the train and drowning. Now, while she couldn't exactly say where this had happened, she did say she saw a bow and arrow and the numbers 222. So that was weird, but two months later, nope, this isn't one of the two, two people... Nope, still not a two clue. A father and son were practicing archery by the shore of Passaic River on February 22nd. Yep, that's right. 222. 222. The shores run along the train route, so they were out shooting bow and arrow when one of their arrows landed beside, yep, you guessed it, John's body, who is in the shallow water. Now, police later pieced together that John had fallen asleep on the train. And when the conductor made an unscheduled stop along the Persaic River Bridge, John, still half asleep, stepped off the train, falling off the bridge and drowning. All right. I tried to find out some more details about this, and I really couldn't find much more about it. So did the conductor stop the train over nothing, and anyone getting off would just fall off a freaking bridge? Or did John stumble off the train and then stumble over the side of the bridge? I mean, there's a lot of freaking questions. Seriously? Like, someone do a follow-up on this, because it's kind of frustrating to me that I don't understand how he could just fall off a train and over a bridge. I don't, I don't get it. All righty, up next. From 1971, an entire family was found murdered when one of the girls didn't show up for school. So the police get to the house, and they find Patricia her two siblings, her mother, and her grandmother murdered. And they also find a confession note written by her father, John. And it seems like John got away with it. The police couldn't find him. They didn't know where he went. They didn't know if he was alive or dead, if he killed himself after the fact. A lot of the police department thought that it was probably a murder-suicide, and they just never found his body. So John seemed to have gotten away with it. But a police detective was like, I can't get this case out of my head. So he contacted psychic Elizabeth Lerner. After talking to her for a little bit, she said that John List was indeed alive and had left town by bus. He had married again in Baltimore, then moved to Colorado. Thanks to this information, yep, 
John was eventually arrested, not in Colorado, because he had moved again to Virginia. But he did get married. He was in Baltimore, then moved to Colorado, and had since moved to Virginia. In 1990, from 1971, the murders happened. In 1990, he was convicted and sentenced to serve five life terms consecutively. F that guy. Alrighty, another quick one. But... Before I do this next quick one, let me share you some stats with you about, um, let me share you some stats with you. That's great words, Kurt. Let me just throw some words together. Let me share some stats with you on psychic hits and misses with law enforcement. Guess what? It's not that easy to find out. Uh, I'll start with this part. Former FBI profiler Clint Van Zant states, in my 25 years as an FBI agent, I never saw a psychic provide anything but information so general it was useless in the case. Now, a quote is then taken from Michael Shermer, PhD, director of Skeptic Society, who said, they're just playing the law of numbers. If you make enough statements about enough crimes, inevitably, you're going to get something right. Seems to be true. Now, one other thing that seemed to be constant is this. When you try to find you know, psychics that have helped law enforcement successfully or law enforcement psychics, you know, try to Google search this stuff to kind of do these research that I do. The reality is that you're going to find the ones that got it right. The news articles only talk about the ones that got it right. You know, the successful ones, whatever you want to call it. So it's a, it's a constant. The press writes about psychics being used by law enforcement, yep, a lot, only when they successfully find the person, the body, the whatever it is they're looking for. So if you look up articles about police psychics, you will get 99% success rates, when in reality, it is less than a 22% success rate of any kind, according to a study titled, The Use of Psychics and Homicides and, pers and Missing Persons Investigations. The Use of Psychics and Homicide and missing persons investigations. They said it's a 22% success rate. Now that study also stated, the reality is the decision to utilize psychic, psychic detectives is almost always entirely a political one. The truth is almost exclusively done to satisfy the victim's friends or family. And unfortunately, according to the police department, not to garner legitimate investigative leads. Yeah. That seems to be the case. Every one of these stories, except for Ashley, a friend or family have kind of pushed the police to continue the search or to look up, look here or to do more based on information garnered or gleaned, whatever you want to call it, from psychics. So whether or not you believe in psychics and if they actually help the police department, they do just because it pushes the police to do another step that they probably wouldn't have done or that they were going to wait until better weather or until they get another clue or until someone just stumbles across a freaking dead body. So say what you want about psychics, they do push the police into a conclusion or a resolution or whatever you want to say it. Yeah, so like I was saying, trying to find data on success rates was really incredibly difficult. And uh, legitimately, it's hard to say if police psychics are worth it for the law enforcement, sure, they get some useful info, 22% success rate. It's not an incredible uh, success rate for the amount of time it takes them to investigate the info. But again, it does lead them to just continue the search or 
try a different avenue to try and find the people. And that's what seems to help. So it's a really weird conclusion to come to that psychic detectives are good or psychic involvement with law enforcement is good, but possibly not because the person is psychic, but possibly because it just pushes the police to keep doing their damn job. All right. With that said, let's move on to another case. Another one where just hearing the facts alone that I'm about to read to you, I'm going to guess that you could make the same assumption as the psychic. My psychic prediction is when you hear this story, you'll come to the same conclusion that the psychic came to. All right. 78-year-old Sylvester Tonet, Tonat, Tonet, went for a walk in the woods and just frankly never returned. Now, the police were notified when he never showed back up, and they went out looking for him, so the family, you know, they couldn't find him. They're, they kept looking for him. They're like, nope, sorry, nothing, can't be found. So the family went to psychic Nancy Meyer. Now, she held a knit cap owned by Sylvester. Then Nancy told them two things. One, Sylvester was unfortunately dead. And two, it's not a result of violence. 78-year-old Sylvester Tonet, who went for a walk in the woods got lost and confused, and she told them, you know, basically where to look for his body, which, you know, the family went out the next week with the police and bloodhounds and found him 150 yards from the area Nancy told them to look. Then Corporal Greenway said, or I'm sorry, then Corporal Green, not then, then Corporal Greenway, who was a corporal at the time, said that he didn't believe in psychics and had been unimpressed with Nancy's pronouncement, saying what she told them was, quote, general stuff. She had said that, a body, that the body would be found near a body of water and railroad tracks. But Greenway said, look, there are railroad tracks all over the area, and she never specified if the body of water was a pond, a lake, or what. As for the picture she drew of the area, just out of curiosity, Greenaway took the picture then dug out another picture out of the police files that had been done by another psychic for a different case 12 years before. And he said, you know what? Essentially, it's the same picture with the same trees, the same damn picture. There are always trees and a body of water. It could be a puddle or a pond. And <clears throat> that police had recently been focusing their efforts in that area. And guess what? This was a fact that was out there a fact that Nancy knew from the news. So they just said, look, we put this out there on the news. The news had reported the police are searching or focusing their efforts in this search area. And Nancy said that's the area they'll find it in. Now, Greenway admitted that they might not have again searched the area except for Nancy's involvement and the family's involvement since it had been combed several times before. So... Yeah, I don't know what, I don't, I don't think I'm going to chalk this one up as a psychic win. More like the police needed the kick in the ass to search the area better, but it was the area they were already searching in. Again, he's a 78-year-old man who went for a walk in the woods. Anything can happen, no matter how old you are, anything can happen on a walk in the woods. Getting lost, getting confused, falling down, getting hurt. All of these things can happen to anyone of any age. That's why they say don't go walking for, you know, don't go for walks in the woods by yourself because shit happens, you're screwed. And that's kind of what happened here. They already knew the area. They knew the area he was walking in. It wasn't like she told them, oh, no, he's not going to be found there. He's actually found 50 miles away in the desert. You know, nothing like that. And then they found him. That I would have been impressed with. 
All she said was, oh, yeah, 78-year-old man went for a walk alone in the woods. Uh, he must have got lost and died. Yeah, that's a pretty easy, or he got sick or hurt and died. I mean, it's a pretty easy pronouncement to make. And the other pronouncement of, you know, hey, look, you're going to find uh, the body near a, um, you're going to find his body near a body of water and railroad tracks when there's railroad tracks all over the area and trees. Yeah, no shit. He went for a walk in the woods. So, what did you guys get that one right? Did you guess as well that uh, he got lost and died in the woods? No no harm, no foul by other people, no murder. Like I said, I'm not that impressed with that one, but I did want to throw that one in there, and I also want to end with that one because I thought that was a good case of, eh, that's just the family and a psychic kicking the police in the ass to search it again, search it better, which they did, and then they found his body. So again, depending on what you, no matter what you think, not depending, no matter what you think of psychics, and I'm going to do another episode. There's a ton more cases like this that I thought were very interesting, but I wanted to kind of split it up into two episodes. No matter what you think of psychics and, you know, using psychics as a police force or in law enforcement, they help, again, whether it's they help because they actually find the person or they help just because they kick the police in the ass to do just a little bit more. Either way, Hey, a win is a win, and I'll take a win anytime. Finding or you know, finding a body or solving a murder, that's a win anytime. I, I don't care how it is. I don't care if you hate psychics. If you're the biggest skeptic in the world, shut the hell up. A win is a win. All righty, that about does it for this week's episode. What do you guys think? What is your opinion on psychics? What's your opinion on psychics with law enforcement? Do you think law enforcement should have a psychic on hand all the time? Or do you think that it's just all general nonsense that, you know, I could probably predict it as well? Um, let's see. I guarantee you in the next month, there's going to be a murder in a very, uh, in like a downtown area. I see like an alley. I see uh, like drugs involved. So keep an eye out in the news for that. I also see a murder where they find the body um, in the woods near a dirt road and a body of water. Let's see if I get either of those right. I mean, is that all it is? It could be. I mean, you know, we've talked about psychics before. Um, in fact, I think I got it. Uh, I did. That was, uh, I did an episode a while ago about psychics and how much, not about psychics, but I talked about the psychics and I talked about those guys that are on TV that I just freaking hate that go, you know, they see a woman in her fifties and they go, Oh, it was a woman in her fifties. Okay. Um, I see a loved one has passed over. Someone you're missing somebody. You're 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 you know alone and missing somebody. Well, yeah. Um it's basic magician skills that, you know, doing basic audience tell skills to glean info or make it seem like they have the info already, however you want to say it. Like I said, if you see a woman in her 50s in the crowd, you can ask her if she's missing a loved one. This open-ended kind of question could mean she has a child that's grown up and moved away, so she's missing them, or that she lost a parent, a grandparent, a friend that she loved so much. They were like family, and she's missing them because odds are that will apply to basically anyone, especially in their 50s. I mean, you're going to lose a grandparent or a parent or a sibling or a friend is going to pass. It'll just apply. Now, uh, you know, like I said, I, I did an episode a while ago and I did that psychic question about, you know, a loved one who died whose name start with a J or an M or whatever I said. Well, it turns out I actually got 
a lot of listeners who jokingly wrote in, yep, I got it right. It applied to them. It's basic, decent magician skills. So look, just because, uh, you know, I can get you a bunch of really interesting psychic cases doesn't mean I think all psychics are real. In fact, I think 99% of psychics are bullshit is the right way to think. And if they can tell you something inclusively, then you can open up your mind to them a little. I mean, you know, like I could talk about, um, ah, fuck it, I'll, I'll do it. I don't care. I'll go a little long on this episode. Now, for every one of these types of psychics that have helped law enforcement, there's just a million more that are just plain bullshit. Now, these kind of hacks are the types that sue anyone that talks shit about them, so I won't give their full names, but, you know, here's a, a few shit stains that, that will make, you know, the families of murder victims' lives even worse. Uh, Carol, her last name rhymes with fate. Yeah, it works. Now, this dumbass says that she works on over 500 murder cases a year, except there's no proof that she works on even one a year, and every case I can find... There's no resolution, nothing found. It is just the most generic bullshit that I was talking about earlier, bodies of water, woods, shit like that. Now, this craptastic person, Carol Fate, also says that you can pray away HIV, and if you have COVID-19, that a half to one cup of tonic water every four hours seems to be helpful. Fucking horrible monster that human is. Um, uh, there's another one. Here's another one. Uh, Sylvia. Um, her last name has something to do with shit. Uh, so Sylvia shit color, I'll call her that. Uh, she told the family that their daughter was murdered on, on one of those, like, like those daily talk shows that the, you know, daytime talk shows that are always on. So she was on there and they asked about, you know, this one poor girl and she went, your daughter's been murdered. Well, guess what? The daughter reappeared years later, alive and well. Now, a lot of her misses versus her hits, and I mean, by hits, I mean vague letters and locations like tree by water and shit, is insane. It's not even 22%. She got like 2% right. She's just really good at reading a room, and then when she sees someone's eyes light up when she says a letter or a name, she then goes, oh, uh, I'm, I'm getting it over here in this part of the crowd. Maybe you, or next to you, you. You have someone with the name John that has passed away? Joe or John? Yes, you do. Oh, okay. And she goes off on her stupid bullshit psychic thing that James Randi used to have. You know, James Randi, amazing guy. He had a million-dollar offer out there for any uh, proof of psychics. I think I talked about him in a previous episode. Um, these were the kinds of people that James Randi, you know, detested because he was a magician. He knew how to do this. He knew what to look for. He knew the calls and the tells. And this is what those people did. They they glob on to someone's despair, basically, and make money off of it. And that's what angers me. Now, these people that I talked about in this episode, I don't think we're like that. I really don't. Especially not like not Noreen, not a couple of them, not, not the one that, that uh, got the information from, what's her name, Christy uh, Robinet, the one that got the information from Ashley directly. The ones I talked about on this episode, they weren't out there to make, you know, millions off of finding this person. They seem to be just genuinely genuine people that are there to help. And and like I said, I'm going to be talking to Noreen um, hopefully this weekend. I'm very excited to do it because I think there are two sides of this coin. I think there are the good psychics that are 
there to help and have some ability that I don't I don't understand how I can explain it. I don't understand it. Um, some unexplainable ability that does seem to help out law enforcement. And those are the kind of people that we should cheer on. And then the trash on the flip side of that coin, the trash we should never have on TV. You shouldn't give them the time of fucking day. All right. With that, I think now I can wrap it up. That's That, that was my little rant at the end. I don't know why I did that, but there you go. Uh, so there you go. That's the episode about psychics. Uh, like I said, there's a lot more stories out there that I'll be doing for the next episode. And... A, a little bonus episode interview with Noreen I'm very, I'm looking forward to. So once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvik, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Monday, the money, 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 the money,